Welcome to the master plan class for the week of Pesach and Chag Hamatzot. The first two days in the diaspora of this week are known as Pesach. Uh, that is the night of the Seder uh, in Eretz Israel. It is a one-day thing. So um, the rest of the week is known as Chag Hamatzot. So Chag Hamatzot Sameach to everyone. Just want to send out a bracha to everyone that as you're eating the matzah this week and as you are remembering our deliverance from Mitzrayim and as we're headed to Acharon Shel Pesach, the last day of Pesach, that you would be blessed to have a tremendous transformation in your life for the good, for blessing, and for shalom and for strength and for power, for chidush, uh, for just new illuminating thoughts in the Torah that you study and in the prayers that you pray and in the acts of kindness that you perform, and that ultimately the geula will be realized and recognized in our days and our lifetimes speedily and soon. Send Mashiach now, HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Well, this week, uh, we're going to cover a lot of ground. So let's go ahead and start out with uh, a drop from Rabbi Trugman Shlita. So he brings this down on the Yikzor. So the Yikzor is a prayer, ser- part of the prayer service that we do during Pesach and Chag Hamatzot. So uh, this service is performed in honor of father and mother uh, who, like if you've lost a father figure, if you've lost a mother and things like that, this would be a prayer uh, service for them. And so, uh, without further ado, here's what it says. On four holidays during the year, a special prayer, a special prayer service is called Yixor is recited by those who have had close relatives pass away. Father, mother, brother, sister, son, daughter, spouse. So the word yiksor comes from the root to remember. And thus, on these holy days, we remember our loved ones. So this prayer is recited by anyone who has had close relatives pass away. So it wouldn't just be exclusive to mother and father, But typically what's done is if you have both parents still alive, then you're uh, asked to leave the room and, um, you know, give give the place for the Yixor to be done for those who have lost those family members. So it can be extended to brother, sister, sons, daughters and spouse as well. So. The main reason why I wanted to read this is because this is included during this week, the week of unleavened bread, which is Chag Hamatzot, by the way. So one of the things that he goes on to say, he says, however, Pesach, which is the first of the pilgrimage holidays, contains a number of allusions to those who have passed away, especially the concept of Tekiat Hametim, which is resurrection of the dead. And is therefore also an especially fitting day to recite Yixor, as we will now explain. So, 
he gives four illusions, and I'm going to pick up on the third one. It says the third illusion illusion to Tekiata Metim connected with Pesach is the tradition that it will be accomplished through Tal Tekiah, which is a dew that will enliven, as will be described in the very next section. It is during Pesach that we make the transition in the daily recitation of the Amida, the silent prayer, also known as the Shemona Yisrael, the 18 blessings. Obviously, it it's adjusted when it's a Shabbat or Yom Tov. It goes to say, from referring to God as the one who makes the wind blow and rain descend, to instead acknowledging God as the one who makes the dew descend. Since dew in the hot and rainless summer in Yisrael brings life-giving moisture to vegetation, which would die without this sustenance, it symbolically alludes to the Tekiatamitim, resurrection of the dead. In fact, the statement in the Amida who makes the dew descend is preceded by the words, you are eternally mighty God, the resuscitator of the dead. Are you abundantly able to save? So after we say who makes the dew descend, we began talking about the resurrection is basically what he just said in this statement. So then it goes on to say abundantly able to save and it's followed later in that same passage by the blessing. Blessed are you Adonai, Mechayeh HaMetim, who resuscitates the dead. And again, in Mashiach Mondays for this week, uh, the basically the previous episode before this one, I was talking about the source of that second blessing of the Shemona Esrei comes from Genesis 22, the Akeda. And that is sourced out by Pirke de Rebbe Eliezer, because when Yitzhak, Isaac, was made to stand up alive after being offered on the altar, then the blessing, blessed are you out on our God, who resuscitates the dead. That was said by Abraham and Yitzhak. So one of the things that we say normally when we have a loved one departs is the Kaddish and you want to have a minion and you want to try to do this every single day for 11 months. More on that Bezrat Hashem later, but the main part about this is you can recite the Kaddish if you don't have a minion. Uh, because it is a duty of the child of a parent to recite the Kaddish for their parent uh, every day for the, uh, again, for 11 months. And so we'll talk about that for sure. I, I have on deck tonight for the first time in the Master Plan series, uh, the Rabbi Aryeh Kaplan's Handbook of Jewish Thought, Volume 2. I've alluded to this volume in volume one before in previous classes, but now I want to go ahead and say we're actually going to read from this book. 
So Bezrat Hashem, that'll come up. So I'm start off a master plan though, from Aryeh Carmel, and I'm on page 278 for section five. The bold heading for this section is Kaddish. It says there are certain prayers whose scope is so tremendous that they cannot be uttered by individuals, but only in a minyan. Okay, so now remember, there's the half Kaddish, there's the mourner's Kaddish, and there's the full Kaddish. So, and the rabbi's Kaddish. So when we're looking at the mourner's Kaddish, again, like I said, if if you don't have a minyan, Bezrat uh, Hashem, you can some kind of way may Hashem provide you with a minion um, and they have to be in person you can't do it through zoom uh, we found that out uh, last year or a couple months ago actually so that was that was good halakhically to bring that down but anyway um, so you if you don't have any if you don't have a minion and you need to recite mourners cottage by all means because you know you have to uh, to honor your loved one but Kaddish in general, like for the prayer services, this is why you want to make sure you have a minyan in the prayer service so that you can do the Kaddish because there is a congregational response. And by the way, if you're doing the Kaddish by yourself, you wouldn't do the congregational response, right? So um, this is another thing to point out about the importance of a minyan is that you wouldn't do a second Shimone Esrei if you did not have a minion. This is why if you're praying on your own, then you only do the Shimone Esrei once and you do it silently. Because with the minyan, everyone does it silently first, and then the Chazan will lead everyone for the repetition of the Shimone Esrei, and typically it will be done in Hebrew, so everyone gets a chance to hear the Hebrew. And again, when we talk about prayer, Prayer is considered to be the Shemone Esrei. So not that any of the rest of the services for the Sidurim isn't prayer, but the main core prayer for each service, that is Marif, Shacharit, Minka, and when you have Musaf, Musaf, uh, that would be the Shemone Esrei. So that's really what you want to aim at doing. And if you want to get different versions of the Shimone Esrei because you may be short on time or any logistical uh, complications you may run into, then you can look up uh, Tractate Barakot and it has different forms of that prayer. And the prayer that Yeshua gave us as well from uh, Matthew, I believe it's Matthew 9, don't have it in front of me, but um, it's in Matthew for sure. And I think it's in Luke as well. Why don't I just go ahead and source it out real quick? Okay. Yes, let's just keep keep away from sources hatred. All right. So that prayer is where? Okay. Stand by, everyone. Here it is, loading. Uh, Matthew 6, verse 9. Not Matthew 9, verse 6. So in my head, I'm thinking Matthew 9. 
But yes, Matthew chapter 6, 9 through 13. So, uh, yes, and then obviously you can cross-reference from there when, when necessary. So anyway, uh, those are just just a few heads up on different kind of uh, prayers that you would do with a minion or without a minion and what's the dynamics of praying alone, like individually, or praying uh, together with a congregation. And also, you should know, if you're with a minion, that would be considered a congregation of people. So, okay, just to point that out. So going on, it says, A minion, a congregation of ten males representing the Jewish nation in its public manifestation. Okay, so now the congregation of Israel is represented by ten men. All right, master plan. That's how we roll, I guess. So a manifestation of the Jewish nation is the congregation of 10 men known as the minion. Okay. Going on, it says one of these is Kaddish, which is sonorous, sonorous, Aramaic, opens with the request. May his great name be magnified and exalted in the world he created according to his will. And may his kingdom come speedily in our days. See, right here, we're already asking for the return of Mashiach, the rebuilding of the Beit HaMikdash, Tekiah Tameitim, and gathering of the exiles. There is the Sephardic version of this prayer that literally says, may he bring about the Zamach, the branch, uh, Mashiach speedily. So there's that. But this is the Yid Kadal, the Yid Kadesh That one? Okay. So that is asking for the kingdom of God. And it's in Aramaic. So going on, it says, to which the congregation fervently responds. Amen. Which is Amen. May his great name be blessed in all eternity. Side note, Messiah text brings down that there will be people in Gehenna who say that line and Hashem will be like, who is that blessing my name? Where is that sound coming from? And the people who are in Ghani Den and in the study hall of Shemaim will be like, oh, that's just people in Gehenna. And Hashem's like, all right, angels, go get them, bring them here. So literally, in the merit of responding, as we do in the Kaddish, you can be delivered from Gehenna. Now, I know that's Midrashi, Midrashi, <laughs> Midrashic and allegoric, but... I'm just saying the taking away the takeaway from that. I mean, basically, it's a powerful line. And this is something to take in mind about Judaism. Typically, the most simplest things are the most powerful things you can do. Something like doing the hand washing ceremony. Super powerful. Something like saying the molde ani. If you listen to my last week's podcast on Master Plan from Zav, I went into the fact that saying the Modet Ani literally 
elevates your whole entire day and causes your whole day to be divine service. So that means you be driving in traffic. It's like you're worshiping a shim. You can be in the break room, just chilling on your phone. And it's like, yeah, this is this is holiness. Better write a shim if you're doing holy things with your phone and not unholy things. Don't be looking up weird stuff and being all grotesque and debaucherous. But yeah, like just you're there, you're working, you're taking a break and all that. It's just like, yep, you're considered to be divine service because this morning when Hashem returned his soul to you, the first thing you said was, I gratefully thank you. And that little attachment to holiness is like the Kohen Haggadol bringing his daily Minka offering to start the service for the day. Obviously, the Korban Tamid gets brought first, the uh, Tamid offering. But the first thing the priest has to do before he does any of the other offerings is bring his grain offering. So that's our Modet Ani. Going on to say here, this prayer thus asks for no less than the final consummation of the object of our of all our striving, the spiritual redemption of all mankind. This is why we exist for the redemption of all mankind. And this doesn't matter if you're Christian, Jewish, Buddhist, Islam, you know, whatever other uh, religion you want to claim or not claim. Are you a human being? Redemption is for you. This is literally universal. Gravity, by the way, is a law and it's universal. You may be able to temporarily suspend it or go quantum and get rid of it, but it is a law. And in our reality, it is at work, whether we like it or not. So we act accordingly, right? Same thing with Hashem's word, his Torah, his mitzvot, you know, they apply. Now, who does them and how they're done? Obviously, those delineations are set forth in the Torah. And just while we're on that topic, don't get stuck in Noahide land. If you really love Hashem, I want to read you something. Somebody sent me this, and this is powerful. This is like something that I was just like, wow, like this is so great. It says, I'm still seeking the truth, and he will reveal the treasure for we're truth seekers. And I was just like, wow, truth seekers. And that made me think about the verse. I'm just going to read it because... Just like Chazal, the sages, they always read their sources. They don't just like, oh, yeah, kind of paraphrase stuff like the Message Bible. Um, no no shade thrown at the Message Bible. That was like a big Bible for me when I was in Edom. Uh, I loved it. I was just like, man, this is, I'm in Bible study. I'm set down fire right now. And it's just like you're reading a paraphrase of someone's perspective and opinion uh, coming from a translation of a translation. So you might not want to be too turned up about that. And I was like, oh, well, then I'll just learn Hebrew. But anyway, I digress. In Obadiah, he talks about this group of people called Moshi'im. So I was thinking about this truth seeker thing. 
and Moshiim from Obadiah 121. For liberators shall march up on Mount Zion to wreak judgment on Mount Esav, and dominion shall be Adonai's. You know, sometimes it's like people want to tell you whether or not you're Jewish or they feel some type of way about converts or they think, oh, you just be a Noahide or, you know, all this kind of stuff. Well, here's the deal. If you are really a person who is attached to Yeshua HaMashiach and you're a truth seeker uh, and you definitely came out of Edom, you're a Moshiim. You're a, a deliverer for sure, 100%, and don't doubt it ever. Uh, so whether or not your title affects your mentality, you know, because for me, it's really a big deal. Like, what, where do I stand, right? But uh, seeking truth, being attached to Yeshua, we belong to him, you know, this kind of thing. I, I mentioned briefly in the Mashiach Mondays uh, episode for this week that um, one of the names of the Mashiach is Shela, And literally it comes from Shiloh, which talks about who we belong to. And so belonging to the Mashiach, who's called Shela, and all that goes along with that. But the point being, truth seekers, Moshe'im, Yehudim, you know, people of Hashem, all those things. That's what we're here to do. We're here to bring redemption to mankind. So at the end of the day, only Hashem knows who's his, right? So even people who claim to be Jewish now and may have done everything by the book, you know, again, you can't just say, well, I did the whole process, so I'm Jewish now. Because what's your heart? What's your inner man doing? And do you really live up to what you proclaimed and professed? So, I mean, obviously, halakhically, boom, you're set, you're done. But what about before Hashem, you know, and all truth and all honesty down to the core of your existence, your eternal existence? Are you Jewish there? Because we know the dissonance between the mind and the heart, between the spiritual and the physical, and how we can do things so well on paper, but when the rubber meets the road, you know, like, read a story today about uh, cult leaders of a rabbinic mentality uh, that have been uh, kidnapping children. And doing all sorts of awkward things with them. So that's kind of unfortunate. So you give the title of being a synagogue and a shul. And you do everything as if you're a rabbi and all this kind of stuff. And then you go behind the scenes and you have all this weird, immoral, and very disturbing activity. Very harmful. And um, that those types of things. So it's just kind of like so... You know, is that really what we want to go for? Just being title alone as opposed to the makeup and substance of who we really are. What did our rabbi Yeshua HaMashiach tell us? You will know a tree by its fruit. Why? Because the Torah tells us 
Is not man a tree of the field? Rhetorical question. Anyway, I just love the whole thing of all of our striving is the spiritual redemption of mankind and all mankind, it says. Not just not just the religious people. It's literally everyone. You know, my Havruta was telling me, you know, yeah, we got uh, secular Jews. We got um, reform. We got conservatives. We got orthodox and all of those different groups. And I was just like, yep. And the unifier is going to be the temple. And he was just kind of like, oh, well, uh, yeah, well, OK. You know, and I'm like. I never thought about it before, but that literally will unify us. That's going to unify so many different people that you would never, ever think to be on the same page. Because no matter what sect of Judaism or how Jewish or not Jewish you are, Hashem is the common denominator of all mankind because where did our souls come from? Who put breath in our lungs? So at some point, we all have this unified uh, source, and it's called Hashem. Or shall I say, he is Hashem, you know. He has the soul of all the living and all the dead in his hands, right? In his hand. So, I mean, it's just amazing to think about, like, there's no reason for, you know, anyone to bash each other. You can't just go, oh, well, you, you're not spiritual at all. It's just like, uh, okay, do you really want someone saying, well, you're too spiritual. I don't like you. You know, you, you're just inciting, you know, uh, riots and fights and uh, disgruntledness, <laughs> to say the to say the least or however to put it. So we don't want to do that. We want to really focus on the redemption of all mankind. Hashem is going to bring it all together. He's going to unify it. So we just need to operate accordingly. So going on to say, it is this prayer which marks off every section of our synagogue service and forms its triumphant close. So how do you know when you're done with the section of prayers known as the Pesuke de Zimra? There's a Kaddish there. How do you know you're done with the Korbanot section? I'm doing this out of order. Uh, there's a Kaddish. How do you know you're done with the Shema and its blessings? Uh, there's a Kaddish. How do you know you're done with the Shemona Esrei? There's a Kaddish. How do you know you're done with the Hallel? Guess what? There's a Kaddish. So like these little bookends. How do you know you're done with the Torah service? There's a Kaddish. So yeah. So the full Kaddish, by the way, just as a side note, is usually only done after the Shemona Esrei. So as far as leases I've seen, there may be other ones, but I'm, I'm really, just to let everybody know, just... We're just going to stop the class real quick because I realize on the Shomer Man podcast, I have been away since like, what, October, August or something of last year. And then it's like, boom, what you got? Mashiach Mondays, you got master plan class, you got Torah stuff and you got 
uh, Instagram back up and running. And it's like, boy, where you been at? You know, anyway, some of you may know, some of you may not know, but, uh, I was formerly with, uh, Sarshalom Synagogue and under, uh, the teaching and under the father figure of, you know, Rabbi Griffin and may he be blessed and may he continue to grow and be connected to Hashem. But, uh, no longer am I a Talmud of his and, and his congregation. So there's that. And I'm currently a part of Magan Yeshenu, uh, which we are on Vimeo and, uh, we do have some, uh, things on the cool podcast and things like that, but just want to give an update that, basically just needed some time to kind of recalibrate, re get my head right and things like that. And, uh, one of the things I really wanted to do was just start over with the fundamentals, uh, because with everything new and changing and not really having a rabbi anymore, even though I've made contact with Rabbi Trugman and we pen pal and we talk quite a bit and I let him know he's the one whose teachings I follow and have placed myself under now. Uh, and he was like, okay, well, I hope I do a good job. And I'm like, as long as you're you, you'll be a huge, you're doing a great job, you know, kind of thing. But anyway, um, it's just been one of those things where I just want to start over from the foundations. So, you know, just really rebuilding everything that I thought I knew, everything that I do know and things like that, just re really looking at things and and want to build from the ground up because technically as a Jewish child, I am seven years old. So thinking about what does a Jewish child know at the age of seven? And again, remembering everyone's different bends, right? Because, you know, not all children are the same. <laughs> Some of your seven-year-old children are like, give me all the heavy books. And uh, other children are like, I just want to go outside and play. I don't want to read. I don't want to do this. I'm bored, you know? So again, spiritually, that's going to translate over, which is why one of the things that uh, Master Plan and Horeb brings down is the beauty of the Kaddish is that it unifies everyone, you know, and being in a minion unifies everyone and brings everybody up to this really super amazing level before Hashem. So if you're uh, spiritually seeming to be destitute or if you're spiritually savvy, regardless of where you fall in the spectrum because you do the Kaddish and because you're with a minion you're brought up to this very beautiful level so uh, but anyway with all that said uh, that's just kind of where I've been and, and so uh, Master Plan is a really great book to give you the the one two three ABCs of Judaism and the handbooks of Jewish thought or volume one and volume two are amazing and uh, Rabbi Hirsch with uh, Horeb is beautiful halacha uh, to really help you uh, do some things in a very solid way, uh, looking up the, the aspects of how to apply everything and just flows beautifully uh, in what's called Torah Be Derek, Torah in the way of life. So as you're living, how to engage the world, but remain Torah true. Basically how Yeshua taught us to be. He said, be in the world, but not of it, right? So 
he didn't say that in particular. He just said, you know, I am not take, I don't ask you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to, you know, keep them safe from the evil one. So John 17 is that whole prayer service that Yeshua was doing for us. He was already praying for us. So anyway, that's just a little Shomer man uh, drop as far as where I'm at. I was on the rabbinic council with Magen Yeshenu, but I have resigned from that and I'm just now the standing goodbye. And, um, you know, it's been good to be back to just focusing on podcasting and being able to compile sources. And I'm also a new dad since I've been away from podcasting and now back. So, uh, there's that with family life and dynamics. So, uh, just some really beautiful, good things and transitions. So, um, no ill will, no malice, no, no bitterness. And if I had any bitterness, I left it at the Seder table because there was a beautiful chance at the Seder to say, Hey, whatever spiritual ties, whatever bondage and whatever blockages there, there may be mentally, psychologically, spiritually, uh, spiritual ties, all those kinds of things, whatever those things are that are connected to my previous system or previous shul community, all that kind of stuff. Uh, walking out of that now walking in freedom just like leaving that like I left like like I left and like Bezrat Hashem all of us left Mitzrayim so you know so I got to get all that out and whether I was aware of it or not you know that was the declaration and the intent behind the declaration and, and there was a beautiful moment in our Haggadah to go through that and to recite that out loud before Hashem and as a as a group you know, that I was with. So just a, a really amazing, powerful time to really launch us out into the season of our freedom. So, and now we're counting the Omer and headed towards Shavuot and ready to receive the Torah again. I just love this whole aspect of Judaism is about receiving everything again, whether that's moment by moment, day by day, week by week, month by month, season by season, year by year, decade by decade. And I mean, it just keeps going, right? The spiral of time. So everything is new at every moment, which we we say that in our morning blessings, that creation is renewed every day, every moment uh, during the Shema section. So when the question is asked, are you saved? Do you believe in Yeshua? Do you have salvation? You know, any of those types of questions or how long have you been born again? All of that, you know, when did you come to God or come to the Messiah? It's just like just now, you know, <laughs> so everything is constant, constant renewal. And uh, Rabbi Truckman has a beautiful teaching called Hitkatshut, which is the concept of renewing yourself. And this is the teaching of David Hamelik, the King David. So uh, his life was considered to be um, fallen, like a miscarriage, because he 
was uh, seen by Adam. Hashem showed Adam a vision of, you know, his offspring. And he saw David and he was just like, who is this? He's like, oh, this is one who would be born, but he is considered to be a stillborn miscarriage. No, no years, no life. And Adam's like, well, I'll give him 60 of my years or I'll give him 70 of my years. So the reason why King David lived 70 years is because they came from Adam. This is why Adam died at the age of 930, because Adam was supposed to live for one day. Day is a thousand years, right, with Hashem, that Midrashic allegory. Uh, not saying that Adam was supposed to live for a day, but, you know, anyway, that's neither here nor there. I was just bringing up the fact that Adam was actually supposed to live to 1000 and the reason i went off into that tangent is because hashem said on the day that you eat of the tree of the fruit eat of the tree of knowledge uh when you eat of it that day you'll die you know and again just the whole midrash and allegory on the day being a thousand years that's how that would technically pan out so anyway david's life of 70 years was a gift so every moment he was able to live as if he'd never been in that moment before. So that meant every time he would do shakarit, it's like, man, I've never done this shakarit before. Like, this is all brand new. Same with prayer. Well, that is prayer shakarit during the prayer service. But same with his Torah study and things like that. And so this is what we have available to us is every moment being new. So we're not reciting the same prayer every time. And where does science show us this proof? Science, by the way, is considered to be the Malkut to the Bina of the Torah. So Bina would be the mother, Malkut would be the daughter, just to get a little Kabbalistic for us. So the upper wisdom and the lower wisdom, the upper wisdom is Torah, and the lower wisdom is science. Uh, so that's totally a thing. And uh, Rabbi Ginsberg Shlita, among many other people, are um, people who have sourced that out. So just so we know, uh, modern science has found out about quarks, that these things appear and disappear and they're never there, you know, for too long. And then they go away and they never come back again. And to show up somewhere else. And these are our moments of our life that if you don't take advantage of this time now, then you'll, you won't get it again, but you'll have another moment of time over here. Bezrat Hashem, Hashem keeps us living, right? That you get another moment, then that moment goes and you get another one, you know? And so all these moments have information packed into them that you wouldn't ever get at any other moment. For instance, if you're thinking, oh, let me pick up this book and read it right now. Well, if you would have done that 10 minutes later, you wouldn't get the same information that you did, you would if you read it now. So this is the whole thing about having a set time of Torah study that when you get a consistent um, pace on your studying, then you're literally molding the universe to that time so that you're creating the vessel for whatever Hashem is going to drop for you and have available for you 
you'll get it in that time as opposed to, well, I may study over here, I may study over there. And it's just like, okay, you get this. Okay. You get that. But your consistency, you're going to set yourself up for more success that way. So anyway, I know that's probably super brainy and sciencey, but just to bring out some connections, because there's a full tapestry of things to really take in as we study and as we glean, as we mature and things like that. So this Kaddish, though, it says it is this prayer that marks the close of every public session of Torah study. So you also conclude your Torah study, uh, your public Torah study with the Kaddish. It goes on to say, this is intended to make us constantly aware of the great principle that we have tried to emphasize throughout this book. The great principles that Master Plan is trying to teach us are found in the Kaddish. So if you really want to know what the book of Master Plan is all about, then think, then say la on the Kaddish. Wow. Says this, the Torah is not primarily concerned with individual or parochial issues. Its ultimate purpose is messianic. The ultimate purpose of the Torah is Mashiach. Are you serious? Did that just happen? Let me read this statement. Then we're going to read another statement. It's ultimate purpose. Speaking of the Torah. Is messianic. Now, hold your place. We're going to go over to Romans 10. The letter to Rome. Right. Let's go over to the letter to Rome. It's Rome on over over here. Rome on over over here. Okay. Romans 10 verse 4. For Messiah is the goal of the Torah as a means to righteousness for everyone who keeps trusting. Now remember, or end goal. Okay, so the goal, the end goal, the end game for the venture people is... Mashiach. And again, only if you're trusting. If you're not trusting in Hashem and you're doing Torah, guess what? There's still value for it because Hashem is going to be rewarders or Hashem is going to reward people for their good deeds. And good deeds, by the way, are called mitzvot. So if you want to just pick up a mitzvah and do it, the power of a mitzvah is ridiculous. Uh, just to give you a little heads up on that. The merit of the Akedah is why we blow the shofar on Rosh Hashanah for forgiveness and for good judgment. Uh, this is the merit that Esther used when she went before King Ahasuerosh. And uh, he was and we were saved and delivered from the scheme of Haman. There was more uh, examples. But the merits of the Akedah, Genesis 22, the binding of Isaac. Is really only from what Abraham did for the first two days of that account. 
carefully contemplating everything that Hashem was really asking him to do. That's the merit that is being used in this world. The merit of the third day is for the Olam Haba. Now, I just uh, paraphrased some some of the Midrash Rabbah and Bezrat Hashem. I can post that. I've been trying to get all my pictures together so I can post them and get them done. But sleep and food is like getting in the way. But anyway, and other stuff. Today, we talked about Yeshua not being resurrected on first fruits, but resurrected on the 16th of Nisan. And that the 16th of Nisan is not called first fruits. It's called Rashid. So anyway, and that's been a beautiful uh, drop. So I don't know if we'll get to do a video or podcast on it or something, but um, my fellow Avenger hates Shlita. Uh, he has been just a wealth of beautifulness on that. And uh, him and I went back and forth and now we're kind of like a Batman Superman combo, which is so weird because we do already have a Batman and Superman Avenger. So I don't know what that was all about. But anyway, things like that are, are just going down and happening. So lots of background noise, uh, good noise, background music. There we go. Lots of background music happening in the life of Shomerman. Anyway, just uh, being very transparent with everybody. So hopefully that's okay. All right. So I'll have you know, as far as the whole loving holla and gummy bears and everything, uh, this week has been going by pretty good. Baruch Hashem. I know we're not done yet, so I'm not trying to bring on any challenges or anything, but, um, eating matzah has been very, very just renewing for me. So I've been really thankful to Hashem for that because the matzah is, is healing food for our spirit. So, 278, the last sentence over here. It looks continually and eagerly to the achievement, the final universal goal. This is the prayer that is recited by the mourner at the moment of greatest grief throughout the year of mourning and on each anniversary, which is known as Yartzite. So, if you've ever heard the word Yartzite or Yarteze, as some people might say, because you re- if you've seen Yartzeit before, you know what it is. But if you haven't seen Yartzeit before, you're like, what is this Yarsarzareza word? You know, and it's like, that's that's Yartzeit. It means the anniversary of someone's passing. So, yeah. So anyway, it says you recite the Kaddish on those times. This enables the mourner to transcend his individual tragedy and to submerge his grief and the knowledge that the community lives on and its great goal will one day be achieved. So see here there's some beautiful teaching on the silent prayer Shemona Esrei we talked about that right Birka Hamazon Halel Kriyat the call to the Torah 
Right? Then it goes in the ch to the Shema. I was just trying to see if there was any Halakha at the end of this section, but there is not. It just goes into talking about the Shema next. That's the next chapter. But anyway, the Kaddish. That's that part. So I'm going to go over here to... Let's do morning. So we'll be in the section for respect for the human being after death, which is chapter 18. That one starts on page 70, but we're going to pick up on page 71. It says to see a human being breathe his last is like seeing a scroll of law burn before one's eyes. Whoa. Wow. Mm. You know, sometimes there's just statements, right? This is why I love this book. Like the the beauty of some of the statements that are in here. So the death of a human being is like the burning of a Torah scroll. Just think about that in antiquity, right? Where people have burned Torah scrolls. Yeah. That was like killing a person. So, uh, so what does that mean when Yeshua was crucified, right? Like the Torah, you know, was offered up on a stake. Yeah, I mean, I just can't help but wonder if if the death of a human being is like the death of a Torah scroll then what about what's the death of the Torah then obviously the shell that carried the Torah because remember the Torah didn't die the body of Yeshua did and it was only temporarily anyway that tremendous spiritual potential is no more Respect for our common humanity requires that we do not go about our business as if nothing has happened. When the person who has died is a parent or other close relative, spouse, sibling, or child, a period of mourning is required. I was telling a couple of my coworkers, I was like, you know, in Judaism, if someone loses someone that, you know, it's really a mitzvah to sit with them you know make sure that person's not alone make sure that they're provided with food uh, that person just gets to just you know just disconnect for a week you know cry their their eyes out you know whatever their day-to-day -day tasks are just suspend everything and they need to sit shiva you know and it's to it's to the community to surround those people and help them with all their needs so that they're not preoccupied on other things as if nothing happened. You know, there's so many phone calls that have to get made and things like that. So just being able to have people to be there and help you and support you through those things. That's that's what we're called to do. And I just think it's so beautiful to think about um the shiva process because 
I was I was telling my coworkers about that. They were like, "Man, the world needs to be Jewish," you know. And I was just like, "Hey, man, I mean, right?" So, anyway, just beautiful things in our heritage here. It says uh, when the person who has died, okay, is a parent or or other close relative, spouse, sibling, or child, a period of mourning is required. It is clear that even this that the seven days of mourning shiva which by the way shiva comes from shiva which means seven the custom of rending one's garments neglect of personal appearance etc are of very ancient origin and were observed by the family of abraham long before the torah was given They have the status of a rabbinic ordinance, except for the first day when they are mandated by the Torah. So you at least have to mourn one day. You're just like, you're going to do this, you know, and Bezrat Hashem, we can all be grateful because nothing like the effects of not giving yourself time to grieve. This is some of the other stuff that I've been dealing with is the transition to where I am now. I skipped some steps of grieving and it really slowed me down from healing. So grieve. If you have things that hurt you, grieve. Give yourself that space. Don't just act like you're Superman. Superman get hit with kryptonite. I mean, it's it's, it's going to be a little bit of a problem, you know, right? So that goes for all of us. So it's got the four stages, the process and the aim. It's got comforting the mourner. Let's go ahead and read this. It says part of the mitzvah of mourning is to sit and accept the condolences of relatives, friends and the general community. The traditional words of comfort to the bereaved are. May the all present comfort you among all those who mourn for Zion and Jerusalem. So, you know, it's always hard to think, what do I say to this person? Don't just say, oh, well, I lost someone and I know how you feel. Like, I can just tell you right now, you want to be very, very sensitive with your words, you know, um, my wife and I had a miscarriage, um, a while back, uh, actually, yeah, it was a year and a few months ago now, uh, ago that that happened. And still to this day, I don't know what I would tell someone who experienced that and may Hashem cause all of us to never know what that feels like. Because technically we should not have those, but we don't have a temple and we're still in exile. So Hashem, please bring an end to exile and grant us the temple. So, and the immediate response I get as far as a thought that just came to me as I said that was, well, how about everyone unifying, walking in Torah and gathering the exiles and uh, bringing light into the world. Then you can have a temple. <laughs> so 
anyway, not that I'm saying God spoke to me or anything, but it was just like this very strong, like, here's a thought for you. Here's a prayer for you. (laughs) Instead of just saying, oh, we need to get out of exile. We need to get a temple. How about we work on being unified, respecting each other, letting each other have their own beliefs and allowing Hashem to work in people's lives. Don't force Hashem's hand on people. You know, Christianity has done a very good job of this for thousands of years, and we still haven't gotten a redemption. No matter how many people have come to belief in JC, guess what? There's still not a temple, and we're still in exile. So obviously that process is is kind of flawed just a little bit. Not saying that it's wrong, but just saying it it hasn't achieved the ultimate. But what will and why? Because we know this is sourced out. That when everyone is looking to Jerusalem and walking in the ways of Hashem, we know we'll get the temple. That's a fact. And you can go to the sources on that. Don't take my word for it. So that's what we really need to do. And that's why the importance of Sephirah Omer is good, because we need to get out of redemption ourselves. If we get out, sleek out, we need to get out of exile ourselves. Wow. Don't get out of redemption. Get into redemption. Goodness. You think about it. If you get out of exile, the world gets out of exile. Because why? Each one of us are a world. So may Hashem grant us the blessing of getting out of exile and into the Geula through Sefirata Omer, headed into Shavuot. And may the three weeks of mourning this year be three weeks of rejoicing with Mashiach, our righteousness, in our midst and the rebuilding of the Beit HaMikdash. Please, Hashem, please. So, you know, words to say to someone who's mourning, here it is. May the all-present comfort you among all those who mourn for Zion and and Yerushalayim. I just love that we we don't have to say much, just that and, and our presence is comforting. It says we try to let him see his personal tragedy as part of the national tragedy. The millennial loss of our sanctuary, the one-time focal point of our existence. So without having to say, I know how you feel. Well, guess what? Since we don't have a temple, all of us are in a constant state of losing our loved one. So we're all mourning. We're all in a tragedy. We're all in a tragic, just depressed state because we don't have the temple. And it's as if one of our closest family members has died. So every moment that we don't have the temple, it's as if we should be sitting Shiva because it's just like we don't like there's a loss here. So Israel is unified and mourning due to the fact that we don't have a temple. 
Now, some people who's a part of the nation of Israel are like, great, we don't have a temple. That's fine. Exile of work. I got my Eruv. We're good. It's fine. Got my synagogue. Got my, got my Mishpacha. Other people are like, no, we need that temple. Beating on the Bema, like, we need a temple, you know, kind of thing. So there's a big spectrum. But the unifying denominator, no matter who we are, uh, we're Jews and we don't have a temple. So therefore we don't have a home. So going on, it says Israel continues. We tell him in spite of grievous loss. And so will he continue. God has work for him yet. The word we use for God, Hamakom, which we have rendered by the all present actually means the one in whom the universe has its existence. We live, move, have our very existence in him. Right. This is written in Acts. It goes on to say God is not in the universe. That sounds like a very crazy statement. God is not in the universe. It is truer to say that the universe is in God. The spirit is not a flickering flame which comes and goes in the darkness of a physical universe. On the contrary, the universe is bathed in an ocean of spirit to which the spirit of man returns when its journey is over. This is why we say to the bereaved, we cannot comfort you. Only God as we know him, the limitless spirit, sea of spirit in which all have our being. Only he can comfort you. Only he can assure you that the spirit of your loved one is not lost. The love of God nurtures and maintains its for maintains it forever. Again, as we talked about in the second blessing of the Amidah, he is faithful to restore those who have fallen asleep in the dust, right? Then it goes on to say, this is the only comfort we have, and it is the greatest comfort of all. Back to the Kaddish. It's on section five here, page 75. It says the Kaddish is not a prayer for the dead. There is no mention of death. On the contrary, it is an affirmation of life a declaration of faith in the future. The bereaved person stands before the community of Israel and declares, in spite of the tragedy that has befallen him, that he remains confident that God's name will one day be recognized as great and holy throughout the entire world. And he adds, this is not something for the dim and distant future. He wanted to be realized now, speedily in our days he speaks the true spirit of israel the torah deals with mortality by transcending it the torah deals with mortality by transcending it master plan page 151 section five and six in the traditional Torah community, the preparation of the dead for burial and the burial itself was and in many places is still carried out by volunteers who form themselves into a society known as the Hebra 
Kadisha. The holy company is what that translates to. The Chavra Kadisha or Chavra Kadisha is known as the holy company. Each member holds himself in readiness to take his turn to participate when called upon. Like constantly on standby. And then it says membership in this society is considered a great privilege granted only to those considered worthy of the honor. So super righteous. 151 in the good way. Because I know we talk about super righteous sometimes as people who are just so stuffed and arrogant and all that but that's not what we're talking about section six consoling the bereaved modern man is uncomfortable in the face of death there's another statement oh my goodness modern man is uncomfortable in the face of death for once he is forced to face the ultimate and it unnerves him so it's just like you got to face this this is going to be you one day should Mashiach tarry. And even when he does return, at some point we still all have to die and then we'll immediately be changed. So there's that anyway. Um, you face the ultimate, it unnerves. It says the Torah community, with its robust faith and the good sense bestowed on it by the Torah, shows the mourner that he is not alone. The entire community is with him. In his sorrow, remember, because we rejoice with those who rejoice and we mourn with those who mourn. Come on, Romans, like that passage in Romans. So then it says the entire community is with him in his sorrow. We link his personal tragedy with the national tragedy and we say, may the ever present God comfort you among all the mourners of Zion. We assure him that God alone can comfort him because only God ensures that death is not final. As the psalmist says, for God, death itself is, has many outcomes. Okay, so for God, death itself has many outcomes. Telim 68.21 We can try to melt the bitter sorrow and silent dedication to God's will, but we should say, what can one do? What can one do? One must resign himself, for that is not consolation, but blasphemy. Okay, so let's try this again. We can try to melt the bitter sorrow and silent dedication to God's will. But we should not say, what can one do? One must resign himself. For that is not consolation, but blasphemy. It is the mourning of the helpless caught in the toils of fate, not the recognition of the blessed wisdom of God, sensed if not understood Mourning by the bereaved and what it actually or what it teaches us has been fully discussed in chapter 18. All right, so that's master plan for the week.
I was wanting to uh, talk about the calendar, but I did post that on Insta, so I'll just keep going with the cottage here and keep everything on the Yeeksor tangent. Goes on to say here in Horeb, uh, this is on page 214, paragraph 320 from chapter 43. Says our sages have, our sages gave latitude to our feelings of mourning so that these feelings too might become a source of spiritual strength for life. So there's things that we can do to, to boost our spirit that are pleasurable, that are joyous. But if you're in a state of mourning, there's also things you can do to spiritually bolster yourself. Wow. I'm just, I mean, I've read that already, but it's just dumbfounding to me that there's a spiritual power available to mourning according to the Torah. Man, out of control. But at the same time, they wanted to confine such mourning within these limits. Three days of tears, seven days of lamentation, 30 days or three months of neglect of one's outward appearance. If more, then God says, have you then more merciful love for the one who passed away than I? Is he not my child? Am I not his father? Nay. More, it means finding fault with God. Our sages, how wise are they? Tell uh, tell you not to chain yourself to anything you have, however noble it is, so long as it is transient, or else when it passes on, you decline with it, and you only cast yourself into the grave with him, who has passed away as long as God's love bestows upon you its grandest gifts use them as God's own for God's purposes but be ready at every moment to return them for you do not know when he will demand them and if he takes away recognize in the taking Recognizing the taking as in the giving the same loving fatherly hand and which that is left to you and whatever condition you may be rise to live fulfilling the will of God, pursuing it and blessing him until he also calls you away to another existence and to a new life. That is from Horeb. And we shall conclude with the Handbook of Jewish Thought, Volume 2. I'm going to start on page 357. So this is talking about immortality and the soul. It says this on 2314 for the first 12 months after death until the body decomposes, the soul has no permanent resting place and thus experiences acute disorientation. 
footnote says the disembodied soul spends much of its time learning how to focus. It is now seeing without physical eyes, using some process which we do not even have the vocabulary to describe. The Kabbalists called this frightening process Kaf Hakela, hollow of a sling, for it is like being thrown with a sling from one end of the world to another. This state of total confusion and disorientation, disorientation is reserved for the wicked. The righteous, on the other hand, are able to pass by this dis- disorientation. In order to do so, they must pass through a river of fire, which is called Nahar Dinor, until they attain the highest level of communion with God and Gani Din under, wow, Gani Din under the throne of glory. This makes me think about the passage of Tamud. I think it was uh, Tanit, Tractate Tanit, says that. Kush uh, is one sixtieth of the world. The world is one sixtieth of the garden. The garden is one sixtieth of Eden. And Eden is one sixtieth of Gehenna. I believe it is along those lines, but I'm just thinking about the the size and the ratio that we talk about here. Gani Den is under the throne of glory. Mm. Wow. Anyway, both of these are alluded to in the verse, the soul of my master shall be bound up in the bundle of life with God, your Lord, while he shall sling out the souls of your enemies as far at, or as far He shall sling out the souls of your enemies as from the hollow of a sling. 1 Samuel 25, 29. Radak, in the same location, says the souls of those who are neither completely righteous nor completely wicked are placed in the care of the angel called Duma, which is silence. Okay, so the souls of those who are neither completely righteous nor completely wicked are placed in the care of the angel Duma, which is silence, to await the final judgment. Goes on to say, the soul, it hovers over the body during his time or during this time, the soul is aware of and identifies with the decomposition of the body. The Talmud thus teaches us worms are as painful to the dead as needles in the flesh of the living, as is as it is written, Job fourteen twenty two, his flesh grieves for him. Most commentators write that this refers to the psychological anguish of the soul in seeing its earthly habitation in a state of decay. Just by the way, the soul seeing its physical body in a state of decay 
If that's true for us on an individual level, how much even more so for Hashem, whose soul, i.e. the Shekinah, doesn't have a physical, quote-unquote, body to inhabit, namely the temple. Right? So there's this whole, like, when's the Shekinah going to be restored to Zion? We pray for this every day. So the temple being brought back is like a resurrection. This is why Yeshua would say, tear down this temple, and in three days I will raise it. And he did. So there's that. So anyway, um, the Kabbalists called this Chibut HaKever, which is the punishment of the grave. We are taught that what happens to the body in the grave can be even more painful than Gehenna. This experience is not nearly This experience is not nearly as difficult for the righteous. However, since they never consider their worldly body overly important. So just a couple of things to think about uh, when we're saying the Kaddish and why we do different things during the Jewish rituals for burial, bringing a lot of comfort to someone who can't pay you back. So, as we are looking forward to the resurrection of the dead, may Hashem help us to be faithful and fruitful in our lives, and may the souls of our departed, if any of us have that, may their souls be granted an ascendancy in the Alam Haba and in the world of souls. And may Hashem truly help us to fulfill the the culmination of our mission and our purpose in life of redeeming all of mankind. Baruch Haba B'Shem Adonai.